Welcome. You're listening to the Green Majority Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We're going to be getting to a pretty badass show today, actually. I'm really happy about it. M.A. Ma joins us finally after a long time on hiatus, and we talk about a lot of important things in a very short amount of time. Also, a little bit of good news for once, although as usual, it's qualified. If you appreciate what we do, please be, consider becoming a member. You can do that at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Green Majority to sign up. You can do that for as little as a dollar a month. Uh, so this is where this will phase in for our podcast listeners who are now very confused and probably for our other, other radio hosts. Just a little technical difficulty this morning, but that's fine. We're going to keep moving. Uh, you are listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT. We are, of course, a weekly environment news uh, podcast. And uh, I'm actually uh, later in the bonus show, I think, going to play. We uh, we got made a, a clip uh, promoting the fundraising drive uh, that was hilarious and almost made me die laughing. In case you missed it, I'm actually going to play that during the bonus show this week just because it was an incredibly good clip of me going ballistic. Uh, and I like that because uh, it's one of the few times when I went ballistic when I think I didn't, you know, I towed the line, but I didn't go over it. Mm. So it's a good example of that. So what's going to happen right now is, I'm, of course, I'm your host, uh, Darren Kaster. Stefan's here, and we have the long-lost Emmy Ma as well back with us to Great this Great to be back. Thank you. We're, we missed you dearly, of course. Uh, we'll be jumping in throughout the show. We may have some other content as well. Uh, but in the meantime, as I'm teching my own show today, I'm going to continue getting back to getting the show itself actually organized here, and I'm going to hand it off to Stefan, who's going to start us with the national side of our news this week. There we go. I like that word. Uh, we're already starting with new words. That's fun. Uh, yeah, welcome to the show, everybody. Uh, I'm going to talk about. Yeah, it's a. It's, I'm going to start. You know, we spend a lot of time, or I think society spends a lot of time talking about how social media isn't really news, and how reporting on social media uh, to some extent is sort of like it's sort of like reporting on the comments below your actual article. It's not actually. You know, it's 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 a lower form of conversation. Uh, but I think this is a this this particular piece of social media act, 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 spirals into a larger conversation. So we're going to start there. Uh, for context, uh, two days ago. I believe it was uh, the environment. The minister of environment, climate change, uh, Catherine McKenna, hosted a youth climate town hall, uh, and you know, and the the guest list was curated by 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 the by the by the ministry, um, and 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 so like and so there was some. And then they, of course they decided to go with hashtag youth climate action as a hashtag to sort of have this conversation sort of thing. And during the time, uh, Linda Slay, a lot of sort of the more engaged climate activists who were not invited to this, this, this town hall um, were, uh, were sort of using the hashtag to sort of point out the different reasons, A, how they felt excluded from this conversation, uh, but also to highlight some of the, the really to, to pressure the government mostly to, to stop Kinder Morgan, because that's the, that's the big current push uh, from the engaged, the engaged youth in climate right now. Um, and... 
And so there's this uh, you know, an ongoing back and forth. Uh, if you read, go through the hashtag, it's, it's kind of a weird mix of either people specifically talking about uh, what is happening inside the hall and a bunch of photos of like tankers and, and stop Cleaner Morgan and protests and all this sort of stuff. Um, and so it's a, it's a kind of a, it's kind of, a, it's, it's sort of, it's a great example of what, what can go wrong when you are trying to host a hashtag based conversation uh, and exclude a certain subset of people who are very motivated to take over that hashtag. Uh, but it's nearing the and nearing the. Yeah. You might just want to say welcome to the internet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but again, again, I, I don't anticipate the government being very good at the internet. I think that is a that should be a relatively accepted fact. Uh, you know, so much so that even like the only like the, the the fact that if you are good at the internet in the government, you're seen as this like as this symbol of of, of bastion of, of of amazingness. Tell us what the young people think. Yeah, exactly. And even young people who are in government still have to immediately forget about how using how to use the internet. There's just like a requirement to be a part of government is you cannot understand how the internet works. Um, or at least you can't outwardly show that you understand how the internet works. It's probably more accurate. Um, but uh, so, 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 so I guess the point of like, you know, here's this hashtag uh, and it's been going back and forth. There's tons and tons and tons of sort of, you know, of this sort of, you know, infighting on the, on the thing. And of course, what's, uh, what I should probably point out here as well is part of this difficulty of this overall conversation was there's people in the room trying to fight climate change. People outside the room trying to say that the people that the people inside the room aren't doing enough about climate change. And then there's a third subset of just right-wing trolls that sort of flow through the hashtag as well, just insulting everybody as you go by. Uh, and so the whole thing was kind of a mess. And then at uh, early, at 9.35 a.m., uh, so very early on in the day, actually, um, the Environment Canada sends out a tweet that says, need to have youth, youth voice at every table, uh, have to be able to contribute, but youth need to learn how to play the game. And, and this is what is and, – and this did not go over well. Uh, did not go over well. Uh, but what's funny about this, and this is perhaps my favorite part of this story, is that Environment Canada didn't actually say this. And it's it, it perhaps it goes back to the fact the government doesn't understand how to use the internet. Uh, it was not it either it was not clearly made or it was not fully clear that this was actually a quote from a uh, from 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 a, from a youth leader in this in the actual space during her speech. So to some extent, like this was when you take it into that context, you understand that this quote in intent, intention at least from the youth leader saying it was you and I need to understand how to have these conversations with government, um, and and we are in this together. It's sort of a call call a call in uh, and and a conversation that sort of like this is a th- you know thing. And you can go back to whether or not playing the game is the right words for this, but to some extent, I think that's you know. I think all activists, to some extent, understand that they are playing a version of the politics game. They're just on a different. They're just on a. It's a different type of game that they're playing. Um, but of course, because of the because of the because of the all of the backlash that they were currently receiving from this tweet, um, environment it became very clear that environment Canada didn't fully understand uh, how it was perceived, and and how it would be perceived by the engaged youth they were trying to engage, which leads us to this larger point. And larger question that I have uh, for the government of Canada, uh, which is, if you are trying to engage youth in climate change and trying so hard to disengage a certain subset of youth who are already engaged in climate change, uh, what would happen if instead of trying to separate sort of the good youth from the bad youth, uh, quote unquote, obviously, um, you actually maybe listened to the already engaged youth uh, who are 
literally sitting in your office. <laughs> like, I don't actually, that's not a metaphor. There was a sit-in to stop Kinder Morgan in Catherine McKenna's office, trying to have this conversation. I don't know how much more engaged with government you can be than going to the ministry office to speak with the minister. That seems to me like the most engaged you possibly can be. Um, but if you're going to, like, like if you, what if you actually talk to those people, maybe understood the, the larger context uh, you know, of a pretty simple fact that what we're looking at here is, you know, 50 to 100, uh, you know, youth in almost every major city who even part of a vigil who are then part of a sit-in. Like, there's, there's an escalating subset of action that we're seeing here. Um, and if you're – like, all I can think of is what if all of these youth – who you have successfully engaged in climate action. They want to make the world a better place. They are your model citizens to some extent. Like, it is unquestionable these sort of, these young activists go, grow up to become, uh, you know, politicians. It would, I would not be surprised that 20-year-old Justin Trudeau would be at some of these, you know, would probably have attended some of these vigils, would probably be a part of this. Like, it was not, like, this is not a thing that these people weren't doing. I bet you Catherine McKenna, before she got her position, probably would have attended these kind of things. And so you have all these people who are engaged, and what would happen if you just accepted the fact that no more pipeline infrastructure can be built because we understand how climate the, the carbon budget works and how climate change can't withstand that kind of, that kind of carbon bomb, and repurposed all of this great energy and set them out to actually solve our problems? Yeah, I think that's a really important point to highlight, Stefan, that this is, in fact, a missed opportunity. Maybe that understates the problem. But instead of being able to harness the energy of the most engaged youth, these youth feel that they have to go to sit-ins, they have to get arrested on Parliament Hill to make their point, rather than being able to work hand-in-hand with the government on solving problems. And this just, I think... The, the wedge that's being driven between the government and the youth that are engaged in climate issues is just illustrative of the fact that this government is now faced with the fact that they can't keep everybody happy right. and they actually have to take a stand on things. And if they are not going to address the pipelines issues in a way um, that young people feel that they can have confidence in government, um, then they are in fact distancing themselves from young people who they should be trying to get on side. And the reality is, like many of us, and we've commented on the show before, that this government thought they could be all things to all people and keep everyone happy, but they aren't willing to make those tough decisions with regards to pipelines. And as a result, they are starting to see um, that their honeymoon is over um, and that they are being called out on things. And this is going to continue if they continue to maintain the current position that they have on Kinder Morgan and other pipelines. And I, I want to just pile on, on on what you just said there, M.A., as well, which is that uh, in addition to the fact that, yes, I think you're absolutely right to point out that the, the government is now just realizing all of a sudden that they can't be all things to all people. Uh, but I think the other corollary to that that is extremely important is that when push comes to shove, every indication we've gotten up until this point is that when they decide who they're going to make happy now that they know they can't make everybody happy, it's going to be the same people as usual. It's going to be the oil companies. It's going to be all the business interests. Uh, and, and that has been showed clear. And I mean, the, the number one thing that, that I think hammers that point home is the fact that they were screening out people to their conversation about solutions, right? You're having a meeting to discuss options and you've done two things. And I think it can be inferred, if not implied, if not 
conclusive from the tweet uh, that was chosen whether or not it was it was taken out of context as far as like how it was perceived, which was the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we're going to have a conversation with you. But there's a precondition to us listening to you, which is that all of our demands are already decided and that this is a conversation about how to spin this or how a conversation about, OK, we're going to do all these things. That's not negotiable. What is negotiable is uh, how that, you know, is is whether or not we can convince you to calm down about these things we've already decided we're going to do no matter what. Uh, and uh, once we do that, we're very interested in having a conversation about what you think. Once that's done, once all these pipelines are built, OK, now what should we do? And uh, and that speaks to uh, hubris. Uh, that speaks to arrogance. And it also speaks to the fact that we really didn't get and this is my old horse and this will be my last point for, for this section. But that my old soapbox, which is that, it, you know, in a, when it comes to these files, not across the board, not on everything, I think that the liberals have been very, very good on a couple of things. Uh, but when it comes to these files, when it comes to energy, when it comes to the environment, when it comes to climate change, their major difference between them and the Harper conservatives is their PR department, not their policy. So like, what's funny about this is that, is that, is that, is that we opened this show uh, with this you know 15 minute conversation about 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 them trying to engage youth whereas the exact if had had a had a had there be a different tone in this conversation the opening of the show could very easily be this headline that Canada is going to accelerate the phasing out of coal um, and and try to get done in 2020 basically phase out coal by 2030 which is a fantastic headline uh, for the for the for the for the federal government on the environment on the right sense now again it's not what's interesting is when you dig into it the, what you're looking at actually the the Accelerating the growth of is the important part there. Accelerating the phase out, sorry, is the important words there, uh, because they, it, it's they, there was a rel- it only, actually only going to end up affecting four coal plants that would have not been phased out. But still, the fact that Canada is now committed to being coal free by 2030 is a for at least for energy uh, is a is a remarkable is is, is a is an impressive and and, and you know praiseworthy step. I would have loved that to be the topic of this week's show, Stephen. Well, exactly. And 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 the the National Observer has this fantastic uh, thing, CO2 scorecard that was that released in their article about an opinion uh, read by by Barry Saxifrage, um, which sort of breaks down the argument that we've sort of been making for the last, you know, year basically. Uh, which is that when if you look at the decisions Trudeau has made, and you look at sort of the 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 banner the banner words that they've managed to come up with, uh, you know the coal phase out by 2030, uh, the $50 carbon tax by 2030. Um, the the they amount to, you know, approximately 23 uh, megatons, I think, of CO2. Um, and then you you contrast that with the 70 megatons uh, or uh, of the of if even just the PN the LNG pipeline they they proved the Pacific Northwest pipeline they proved. If you ignore everything else, they're already in, in the hole from number of CO2 emissions. And I think what's happening with these conversations with youth is that they're trying to engage youth. The conversation is like, well, how can we transition? How, like, what can we do to make, you know, to have a clean energy future? And all of the youth that are not allowed in the room are yelling, stop making it worse first, and then we'll have this conversation. And, and that's just not happening. We're just not having that first conversation of, okay, let's understand that we can't make it any worse before we start improving it. Uh, because, you know, because the, 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 the promise is still to reduce it by 200 megatons. Yeah, and you can't expect the youth of today to not be totally plugged in and engaged and aware of these facts. And the steering the conversation towards um, personal empowerment and choices to you know, 
deflect away from this conversation is not going to go anywhere. I mean, those things, personal empowerment and building solutions are extremely important things to cultivate among our young population, but they are not going to turn a blind eye to poor choices that are going to affect them in the future. And can I just say as an aside, never get into a Twitter war with millennials. (laughs) They will win. Every single time. Win the internet. Even if you don't know you're you're in a Twitter war, which may have been the case here, (laughs) then you're even at more of a disadvantage because you're going to get hammered. Yeah, I I actually would wager that they woke up this morning to find out about all this in the newspapers (laughs) because I I, honestly, I find it incredibly hard to believe that the people responsible for tweeting outgoing tweets from the Environment Canada website Mm -hmm. is part of their job description to read replies to that. it's, it's It's a PR thing and I, I don't even mean that as a criticism it's like that that is their outlet it is it is when it, we're talking about government social media that is a one-way conversation almost all of the time so i i i would not be so shocked if they didn't know about it until this morning but, but i think this is that uh, you bring up actually an interesting point uh first let me correct it not megatons million tons uh mega i think means thousand or i'm not i'll ask a scientist exactly what mega means but it's a million tons not megatons of carbon dioxide um but what's interesting about that about that point is one thing I did find going through this sort of conversation is what you is that if you look at the if you look at the the way the media if you just only read the Toronto Star or only read any sort of, a lot of these things, what you do find are good reputable articles about uh, about sort of the you know about the. Uh, about the, the the announcements of the coal fire phase out and the other things. When you look, when you start looking for articles about about the the vigils, you find like local conversations with the vigils, but there I, I couldn't. But but it's it's much more difficult to find sort of that CBC news or that thing is covering the sort of the breadth of the of the issue. It's it's it, and, and it's what's funny about this is I feel like this is another example of the sort of dividing of how people accept their news. If you're following the people who are there in the sit-ins, or you're following the people who are who are who are who are living this sort of time, you know that this other news is happening. If you're only reading the sort of these long these 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 other pieces from sort of more mainstream sources, you're not going to get the same. You're not going to understand the world in the same way, which then leads to this weird cognitive dissonance when everyone understands that there's like when 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 something references an article like oh there's going to be massive pro- there's massive problems with Kinder Morgan, uh, and but if you haven't read it anywhere in the sort of your what you're reading. It's not going to make a lot of sense to you because you haven't been able, you haven't been shown the actual sort of slowly ramping up of action. You know, I'm sure if you ask the random person if they're if, if to tell you anything about any of the protests that have been going on for the last month about Kinder Morgan, no, there like I don't think that that hasn't been it hasn't cracked that sort of mainstream conversation in any real way. Uh, and I bet you that all it will end up getting is a byline in the article where it says he's approved of Kinder Morgan, saying environment other groups are man- are angry um, or something like that. And I think it's I, like I, I come back to this point of just. I really wish we could actually stop wasting our time fighting to just be under, to understand the basic science of this and get on to the actually very difficult work of solving it because it's not easy. Like, I, even if we had people helping us, it's not easy to do to, to change our entire organ, our entire culture away from this high consumptive lifestyle. It's not going to be it's not going to be helpful. And if we don't find some way to 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 move all of the energy currently fighting these infrastructure projects to galvanizing an effort, a real effort, you know, people always talk about like the quote unquote wartime effort needed. To, what, how do you need to get a wartime effort? Well, you find all of the young people and you get them to do the thing. 
if you know it, like th- th- that's the only way to do this it's the only way to actually find this sort of this find this this this, this plethora of energy that you need is to empower these people who want to do the thing aka solve climate change fundamentally change our our, our the way our culture works right now um and it, I, we're missing we're missing the opportunity well i'm sorry and and if i can just uh I'll, i lied i'll make one more comment but okay. it, maybe we'll to close it the the section i think is really important which is uh, you, you you made half of the point that i make sort of every other week there again so let me f- finish it up which mm. is that if if the, i think what the attitude is is like well the youth are just complaining they don't actually there's an assumption that or i like i don't even think it's assumption i don't think it even occurred to them that the youth actually no they're not the only ones but that the youth actually do have solutions that we actually do have ideas about how to solve this this problem and uh and there is a great realization to, to harp off uh to pick up off uh something that ma said as well um th- Youth are far more educated about this than your average person 20 years older. And the reason is, is because they use the Internet. And so the the access of information for youth today is unprecedented in history. And so the, I think the, the attitude here is, well, OK, youth are always protesting about something. Uh, they don't understand the problem. They don't understand the consequences of, OK, if we did shut down the oil sands, what would be the consequences? So we know better. They don't really understand. So if we just go ahead and do it, we'll be proven right later. And then by that time, they'll be grown up and then everything will be fine and the reality is is that a youth actually do understand the problem they do understand the risks if you went to the youth and said okay what if we you know shut down the tar sands or did all this did all this stuff that you're asking for but your your taxes had to go up bet you wouldn't be okay with that and they're going to be shocked to find out that those youth go fine do it go do it now do it freaking two years ago do it 20 years ago. Yes, we want that. Solve this problem at any cost. That is how high the urgency is. And and I think that they would be f- absolutely flabbergasted and shocked to hear that. But that is the opinion and that is the attitude. I can't speak for everyone, but of many of these people that are incredibly frustrated is that we can't is that there's no point in having that conversation until we agree that that the problem is real. And policies like this say that the problem isn't real. Yeah, and again, I, I will continue holding off my uh, like. I think I think Trudeau's legacy will be determined by what he does on these three pipelines that he gets next month to do. I yeah. think he and it doesn't. I think that will determine the rest the rest of his next four years and probably next eight because I still think sadly he will win in four years. Yeah, and I I, I think what's really important here as well is that like I, I think the reality is like what I would they say. Well, what do you expect Justin Trudeau to do? Here's what I expect Justin Trudeau to do. That what they're implying is that. Look, we would love to do. I believe them. I believe them that they would love to do more, but that they don't believe that they can. And I think that the sad reality is, is that what I would sorry, let me rephrase that again. What I was going to say was what I want Justin Trudeau to do is is come out and be honest and stop implying stuff and stop sort of like hinting at things and going around. Come right out. Be an honest and direct human being for once and say, look, we would love to do this. We would love to enact these policies. We would love. I don't really necessarily believe that, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I would love to shut down the oil sands. But Canada's economy can't afford it. Great. Okay, let's look at that math. Let's look at these arguments. I don't really think that that it would. If you add up all the oil spills, if you add up all the money, all the externalities, all the downriver costs that oil comes up, plus the fifty, thirty to fifty billion dollars a year that we pop into the industry, I don't really think that we come out on top. And if we do, it's not by much. 
And I think that's the reality because I think at the end of the day, the real reason is, is that it's, it's not because this is actually incredibly in, in Canada's financial interest. I think it would come down to an admission that, look, at the end of the day, we're locked into some of these trade deals and we actually don't have the ability to do this. And I think the reason they're not saying that, because that would be a great thing to say, look, we'd love to help you, but we can't, is because then that would start the fire of all fires because it would admit that they would connect these trade deals in the middle of them trying to push the TPP through, which thankfully looks like may or may not happen now uh we'll see uh but it would be it would show the hand of like yes all of the things you've been criticizing us for are true and and i i think that they're taking the coward's way out by trying to just hide this information and just gloss over it rather than being extremely honest and extremely forthright and having a direct and honest conversation with all canadians saying look our hands are tied if that's true then let's just admit that and have a conversation about how we solve that problem instead of pretending that that isn't the problem all right. Uh, again, I, I think the I think the like I I, I can't imagine that the um, like to some extent that that stance requires a level of global, global conspiracy that I'm not entirely sure I'm I'm going to I'm going to jump in on. No, it's, um, I'm not implying a conspiracy. I'm just I'm just implying that it, not like we can't because of like secret like like no, lizard no. people. I'm saying because trade agreements have locked us in. And I just wish they would. Agree, I just wish that if if that was the real argument, if that's the real reason why why they their hands are tied, I want them to say that so that we can have a discussion about that problem. Like I, I feel like there's a disconnect between what the actual problem is. And what the perception, what the public outfacing of the actual problem is, which is, uh, we, you know, we can't afford not to do this. Uh, I don't believe that's the real reason. I believe there are other reasons. Well, I, I, again, I think there's, I think there are other reasons beyond just the, 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 the quote unquote need to, uh, to, you know, to export or things to market. I think it's a bunch of it's trying to appease a certain percentage of, uh, of the country that you know is very, very vehemently still pro oil uh, and still sees oil as a, as a whole as a, as a thing. I, I like. I think that's like that's where I'm pretty sure this comes from. Um, I, I, because, I think like, it's a combination of all yeah. of those things. Yeah, sure. yeah. I, th- I think we can agree that it's a combination. <laughs> we may have differences of opinion about what the percentage of, the, of that it's split down is, but mm. yes, it's absolutely all of that. Anyway, sorry, I, I took us over time here again. Let me get right into the the music break. Um, I was fearing uh, f- uh, a little bit fiery today, and I thought there's <laughs> nothing better that I could do than play a tribe called uh, Red's uh, Electric Powwow Dance. So we're going to go ahead with that right now. All right. Welcome back. You are listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darren Kaster, sitting in studio with Stefan Hostetter and M.A. Ma this week. Fuller studio than usual. Stefan, as much as I love you, it's nice to have other people here. Oh, I, I, please. I am. Every time we get M.A. Ma, it's a, uh, is a, is a, is warm as my heart. Yeah. Check mark on my week there. <laughs> uh, okay. So she's going to be jumping in throughout the show as she has been already. But uh, this is the section is mine. Uh, so what I, I'm going to rapid fire through a couple of things uh, because I want to spend most of my time talking about uh, DAPL, the Dakota Access Pipeline. Lots of updates for you this week. Uh, None of it good. Let's just get that out of the way now. Uh, So I'm going to start with something relatively good because we're going to try and do that and not just like, you know, cram in all bad stuff. Uh, So in the the news of of things that are, I think, uh, go into the good column, uh, Ontario's Environment Minister Glenn Murray this week uh, is uh, giving more certain uh, confirmation of actual moving forward and the releasing, uh, more specifically the, the very important part, the releasing of funds to clean up the river system near Grassy Narrows First Nation. Uh, and I think a very important quote here from the Environment Minister, uh, quote, to the satisfaction of the chief, uh, chief and health of the people. Uh, I think 
uh, when we talk, especially in the previous section about, uh, you know, being sort of direct and making f- uh, firm commitments, this is the type of language that we want to see, not some implied, yes, it will get better and we're looking into it, uh, to the satisfaction of the chief and the health of the people, uh, I think is an excellent uh, quote. I'm happy and is my privilege to read that somebody with authority said that this week. Uh, well played. Uh, so the important part here. Um, uh, it, it, partially in what this was response to was a University of Waterloo research chair in biology, Dr. Heidi Swanson, uh, revealing uh, through study that walleye eaten by the people of Grassinaros uh, are, are in fact mercury contaminated. And, and specifically uh, because there were some claims that uh, there, there were no, uh, this was of course there, uh, a worker uh, admitted some time ago to uh, having secretly buried uh, some poison uh, that then they couldn't find the barrels and the company came out and said, yeah, see, we told you so that was all a lie. Um, the, the funds have now been released in addition to cleaning it up uh, to uh, expanding the search area for this thing because one of the things that uh, Dr. Swanson's uh, research uh, uh, conclusively showed uh, was that there is a ongoing release of mercury. This is not a natural deposit. This is not uh, conclusively not a natural deposit and this is also conclusively not uh, the simply uh, 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 delayed effects of an earlier leak of mercury either from that source or from another undisclosed source uh, that there is in fact an ongoing release of mercury in that area and we have a firm commitment now to do something about it check mark on a win this week Stefan. yeah uh and just to, because I, I get i get to be the debbie downer on this song because we're full sides uh <laughs> i should at least just point out this is after 40 years of the community of grassinaros saying this is happening this is happening this is happening uh and you know successive ontario governments sort of being like la 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 i can't hear you uh and it took a incredible amount of of actual sort of independent research and and organizational and it was agents from from sort of organized within Grassy Narrows um, and different uh, sort of research teams to come in and sort of be like, no, seriously, this actually is still happening to the point where they they couldn't be ignored to some extent. Uh, so it's fantastic that it's action, but I, I just want to sort of be like, this was a very long time coming. Well, and if I if I wasn't trying to put a positive spin on that story, I might also point out that this is the uh, the cost of what happens when you do have lax enforcement and environmental protections, uh, and that the company is not paying for this, the people of Ontario are. Yeah. Uh, and and yet again, privatize the profits, socialize the costs. That's the name of the game. But we're keeping it positive, so there we go. I'm not going to say that. All right. Uh, so another quick uh, aside. Actually, no, I, I will do that after because that uh, that fl- plays right from this. So let's talk about uh, Dakota Access Pipeline. Uh, as I said, there's a lot of reading to do on this. There's a lot happening. We could do a whole show on it every week, and unfortunately, there's other things we need to talk about it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speed through it, but please do look a little bit more into these, and we may come back and talk about it later as well. well. I was also gonna say that that with our little even our technical hookup at the very beginning showed that if you want a, a great place to go to get really on the ground coverage from this is Democracy Now. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and there's also I'm 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 trying to uh, pester somebody on Twitter who's actually been basically there. One of the only people that's there, of course, Democracy Now has been there. Uh, a number of other independent, the mainstream media. Like it, I, what I actually want our listeners to do is go and just Google DAPL, just the, even the acronym. And what you're going to find if you click over the news section and just look at the news feed, you're going to see pages and pages and pages of independent media, uh, foreign media, things like RT that are just basically Russian state-sponsored television. It doesn't mean what they're saying is lie, but it does mean that they basically look for every opportunity to embarrass the Americans <laughs> whenever possible. So, But, I mean, that's what you're going to see. Where's the Wall Street Journals? Where's the New York Times? Where's the uh, MSNBC? You will spend several pages looking and not find them. Uh, this is being completely 
completely ignored by the mainstream media. In fact, the, if, if you do find anything, here's what you're going to find. You're going to find interviews with the owner of the oil company accusing the protesters of being violent uh, rioters who, uh, and saying that they don't actually even care about this. They're just looking for a thing. This is uh, The mainstream media is not just ignoring this issue. Any attention they do give to this issue because they're forced to, by independent media, cough like us. Uh, to uh, to basically provide a platform for the uh, for the company owners to smear the protesters and lie to the public about what's actually going on. Although I should I should point out that uh, that I literally did that as you said that. Uh, and four hours ago, Bloomberg Politics released an. Uh, they heard me. A, a kind of terrifying headline. This is something that this is interesting because this is I think a good example of what uh, of what uh, of of what happens when a larger subset of uh, of types of news comes in. Uh, because uh, they just released an article called Trump's stock in Dakota Access Oil Pipeline company raises concern because apparently the president-elect owns some stock in the company uh, that is trying to build the Dakota Access Pipeline. And, you know, that's definitely good news. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's a ton of stock, uh, but it's it's still uh, it's still just generally concerning that the president-elect might own might have a financial interest in, you know, getting this pipeline built. Well, no, but Stefan, don't worry because uh, by definition, presidents can't have conflicts of interest. Oh, right. Of course, yes. Uh, okay, so we're going to rapid fire here. So grenade, there was a story coming out about uh, a uh, sound concussion grenade being used against protesters. Uh, there is no, uh, I, I want to be clear that there is not uh, direct, like conclusive uh, proof that exactly that this was A, thrown by a police officer, that it was B, a concussion grenade, and C, that it was the fact the concussion grenade thrown by a police officer to almost blow this woman's arm clean off. Uh, I don't suggest that you go and look for it, but if you're uh, into that sort of thing, or if you have a very strong stomach, you can find images of this. Uh, with that qualifier, it is almost certainly what happened. Uh, let's just say that. Uh, it's, uh, there's a, a video of a lot of this stuff, just not video of that specific incident. Uh, what we do have... Um, uh, sorry, uh, and I just wanted to add the, the quick comment before we move on, uh, that uh, uh, police here aren't holding the, the peace. This, uh, currently before the courts, the courts uh, are uh, receiving multiple uh, pro. Uh, 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 submissions about this the oil company is trying to use the f- supposed violence that is in reality being uh, exclusively exercised by the military uh, military militarized police uh, as an excuse to force the pipeline to go ahead but it is before the courts and there's also a bunch of other stuff before the courts uh, i don't re- i don't recall it's a little bit murky whether or not there was a specific order given for them to stop or simply a i, I believe what actually happened but i'm not certain about this uh, is that there was sort of a polite request by the courts to stop while they looked into whether or not they should officially make them stop but the reality is is that this is an issue before the courts this is also an issue of first amendment rights for americans free speech and the right to uh, peaceful assembly and protest which is why the police are provoking, uh, trying, doing their best to provoke the protesters so that that gets that excuse gets removed and they get to crush them even further. Uh, but regardless, the police are there uh, militantly pushing out peaceful protesters to make way for the oil company. So this is not keeping the peace. This is the police uh, pushing citizens aside to defend the completely no, at best unclear legal rights of a private corporation. Uh, so let's move on to that. So Sorry, uh, Darren, I just wanted to add, um, and I don't know if you, you intend to talk to this, but there's a really good video, and I actually watched it off the, the Guardian's website, but I'm sure it's available through other sources as well, that shows um, the protesters being sprayed with water. And uh, the police chief was saying, how can people refer to this as a water cannon? It's really just a fire hose. But, I mean... It, 
you're spraying water on people in very cold temperatures. So a lot of people um, were taken down with hypothermia, and that is very cruel treatment. And the fact that he would he would try to downplay what this instrument of pain was being called just shows, I think, the general attitude of the, the leadership of law enforcement there and the, the poor treatment of human beings. And from this video, it's really clear that the police are not in any threat of danger for, you know, their lives. They're behind um, razor wire and razor wire. And it's very clear that the protesters aren't doing anything menacing. They're just exercising their rights to protest. But the the police are inflicting a great deal of pain and suffering on yeah. these people. So the, in the, from the article, it was quoted exactly, yeah. The, the footage appears to show that law enforcement officers were separated by demonstrators by barbed wire fence, Cortana wire, and uh, for, further raising questions uh, as to whether uh, such force was justified from the article uh, as well. And the quote from uh, Morton County Sheriff uh, Kyle uh, Kushmeyer, uh defended the use of water cannons, uh, saying, we don't have a water cannon, quote. Uh, I don't know where the term water cannon comes from. This was basically just a fire hose. I'm just going to leave a moment there for that to sink in. Uh, Also said that officers uh, did consider low temperatures when they deployed the water, but said, quote, we're not just going to tolerate people and protesters in large groups coming and threatening officers. That is not happening. Uh, So what uh, and apparently the water was used as a tool to help quell the situation Uh, when it was no longer uh, necessary. They stopped using it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, so, and of course, uh, sorry, and I, so I did find a thing with a little bit more clarity on that as well. Uh, the U.S. government has announced that it was delaying granting the final permit. So they do not have the final permit uh, for the Dakota Access Pipeline needed to drill under the river, the river that is uh, mo- most specifically uh, where uh, the point uh, uh, for the protest. And the company is now fired back uh, with a filing court paper sealing a judicial uh, order. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, we have, uh, I, I don't have time to get into all the details, but basically Amnesty International, all sorts of uh, international groups uh, have been uh, uh, outcry about this as well as uh, internal. In addition, I think was very important as well is that over a thousand U.S. military veterans are also planning to, uh, quote, deploy to the Standing Rock Suit Pride peacefully to support the water protesters fight against the uh, controversial pipeline. Uh, and the uh, veterans, uh, the event, which was the Veterans Stand for Standing Rock, uh, was put together by veterans for United States Armed Forces, including U.S. Army, U.S. Marine Corps, U.S. Navy, U.S. Air Force, and the U.S. Coast Guard uh, as well. They've currently raised, well, at the time, the article that I found, $200,000 in donations, which will go to towards funding veterans going to uh, this. As well, Bernie Sanders and other people, including Amnesty International, have called for the Department of Justice to send observers uh, to uh, uh, to investigate uh, the claims. Um, claims, of course, when I'm saying it is in like three layers of quotes uh, of uh, uh, over... Um, uh, essentially provocation and violence uh, on behalf of the police and the uh, the pipeline company uh, themselves. Uh, there's tons to talk about here, uh, but over uh, current access, somewhere between three and 400 protesters were injured, as I said, sprayed with water during uh, freezing temperatures uh, because they dared not back away uh, from their peaceful and constitutionally protected, I might add, right to protest. Um, does anyone else want to add on that? I, there's a quick other thing i'll throw in but it's not on depl final comments on that for now there's it's a uh you know it's an it's it's it's, it's i guess I, I the one thing you can say is it's a it's more proof of this sort of uh, of the of the, of the ongoing ongoing piece of it that remains true is that it's constantly indigenous organizations and groups that are on the front lines of trying to are trying to put these things forward um and to, to harken back to sort of uh to sort of our last piece if 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 canada wants to not have its own diploma moment uh kinder morgan is probably not 
a thing you're gonna you're gonna want to do. Uh, like Kinder Morgan especially is in is 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 like it's weird that Kinder Morgan is the one we're talking about currently because I honestly figured it was dead in the water about two years ago because of the level of resistance that it was facing within the communities it has to go through, uh, and the fact that it has remained uh, remained a possibility for this long and in remaining conversation. I figured he was gonna throw that one under the bus to get Energy East through, uh, and and that look that looks less and less possible. Uh, so uh, you know, I, this is this is the kind of thing that's only going to increase if 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 uh, if our governments can. Continue wanting to find, you know, if our government continues wants to get, uh, you know, get people activated, activated in the realm of climate sphere, this is what you're going to get until you start engaging us in, in real solutions. Yeah, absolutely. And and what I think, and, and one of my comments uh, that I will stick now, and I'll save the rest for later about that as well, was that I mean, with the uh, w- with the win of Trump, uh, I, I think uh, that. This has, if anything, because of the despair of so much damage that could be about to happen, and in my opinion, it is almost certainly about to happen. But as I said, we're not going to we're not going to confirm we're not going to talk about things that are yet to be confirmed at this point, uh, especially when it comes to somebody like Mr. Trump. Um, so, uh, but what I think is is that, that what's happening is that this is, if anything, made people who are opposing these things uh, realize that the, that more and more so. And uh, I'm not encouraging anyone to do anything. I'm simply pointing out uh, the uh, the obvious fact that many people. Are are feeling now like the only way forward is to support these physical confrontations and by physical i mean by physically going to places and standing in the way of these projects and so if uh you know if these uh, you know there's reports about some of the oil companies uh, laughing at there's an oil ceo that like laughed in obama's face about his climate thing all this like oh we got him now but where are guys and he's gonna help all this stuff the hell is about to break wide open i tell you that much as far as people taking it to the next level and i hope with all my heart that this uh, takes the form of people simply uh, performing passive resistance and civil disobedience. Um, But stuff's going to get real. And it's going to continue to get real, and this is not over. That's, well, I think, all I can say about that for now. Yeah, if you don't give someone, if you don't give people uh, a way to feel empowered by getting real positive things done, they're going to go stand in front of the things that are making things worse. That's the you, that's the only that like you're only giving people two. If you don't give people one option, they're going to take the other one. Yeah, and so at the risk of going over time, I'll, yeah. I'll simply mention uh, for the final thing. We'll come back to the rest later if we can. Uh, is that Obama appears to also be on this train, uh, laying a, basically a minefield for uh, President-elect Trump, uh, using his last uh, few months uh his month or so or whatever i forget what the actual date is but you know his last time now in office uh to uh and i think there's a little bit of humor here to be had uh in the darkness which is that uh, i think obama is basically just understands that uh, uh mr trump is incredibly lazy and incompetent uh <laughs> because he's going through and using executive orders to pass all sorts of protections uh and people are are very much rallying behind him to do as much as humanly possible through executive order uh before he goes uh including uh the u.s department of interior banning gold mining on 330 thousand acres of land near the northern entrance to yellowstone national park uh there's a there's a list of other ones he's also ca- uh, canceled 25 oil and gas le- leases in in colorado since trump's win uh and i think what happened here is that i mean the reality is is that anything done through executive action can be removed through executive action i just think obama is assuming that trump's going to be too damn lazy uh to actually do all of this and is basically trying to drown him in work uh which if nothing else well played yeah. uh so why don't we leave it there uh for now i have more comments i actually have uh, uh many more comments but i'm going to be good this week we're going to go to a uh, music break i'm just really feeling this uh uh this uh, wave of support for uh, not only for the fights that are uh, as usual being frontlined by our indigenous and first uh, nations friends all over the world uh, both uh, when it comes to Grassy Narrows when it comes to uh, Kinder Morgan when it comes to DAPL and all these other things so because of that this week's music is brought to you by a tribe called Red 
Here's going to go another song from them. We'll be right back. This is Red. All right, we are back. You can find links to watch those great songs on our website, which will link you to their YouTube channel. This week's music on The Green Majority brought to you by A Tribe Called Red. Stefan, uh, we're in the final moments here, and I'm going to throw to you to throw to our final section. Yes, I got you. Thank you, thank you Darren. Uh, so we're, in, we're joined uh, by, I'm going to call our so- science correspondent, uh, Tina Kinn- Kinesovic, executive funny. science correspondent. Executive, executive science correspondent. You just you've got promoted during the show. Amazing, I like it. I'll take it. Amazing. Uh, and so you're going to be talking about uh, perhaps one of the scariest graphs I saw this week. Um, and it was one of the things where I, I you know, like again, because I, I do my best to, uh, to to be well informed. I see something on social media, it looks terrifying, and then I wait until I see it on a real on a, on a, <laughs> on a thing that actually exists somewhere else before I get too scared. Uh, uh, and this is, of course, talking about uh, the Arctic ice. So please let us know how scared should we be about Arctic ice melting? <laughs> well, uh, I'm pretty scared of it. I think we all are. But um, it, it actually comes from this article that was written in The Guardian. And it's talking about a report called the Arctic Resilience Report. And so they talk about rapid melting. We know this is happening. Um, the scientists are really concerned, actually, because temperatures in the Arctic right now are about 20 degrees above what they would normally be at this time of year. Um, the point of the article, though, is that it's, it's triggering these 19 so-called tipping points. And what this basically means in this sense, it's not from the, the Gladwell book, um, <laughs> it's talking about when a natural system undergoes a really, really rapid change, and then it starts to affect the surrounding eco- ecosystem. So this could be locally in the Arctic, but they're saying it could have a much more global effect. Um, so for an example... If the ice cap melts, uh, there's less reflective ice. There's all of a sudden more vegetation growing. Um, You can see more of the seafloor. And so you're absorbing more heat in the Arctic. And then there's more methane being released. Things get warmer. And it's kind of this cycle of it gets warm, more ice melts, it gets warmer. Um, And we know this stuff. This isn't anything super, super new. Uh, But this means higher sea level. So not only in the Arctic, but they're saying that this could go as far as the Indian Ocean. So... It, they don't know how quickly this could affect things on a global scale, but they know that it could. Um, and the problem is that sea ice is now at the lower extent um, that than it's ever been recorded in the year. So the other problem is in a political sense. So with President-elect Trump, he said he wants to remove uh, the budget from climate science and direct it more into space exploration. And this is kind of coming at a critical time when we don't have a full understanding of what these tipping points could mean. And if they're real, it, it means that these effects could be much greater than just in the Arctic and much quicker than we originally thought. And so there needs to be more funding to understand the effects of this. I think you raised just an interesting point there, Tina, that a fair bit of the work done by NASA is this kind of scientific work. And I think in the mainstream, we we do think about NASA's core business being space exploration. But there's a lot more sophisticated science that comes out of NASA. And obviously, um, the, the signaling of a change in direction um, just illustrates how short-sighted um, defunding this kind of important scientific work that's being done by NASA in, in favor of, quote-unquote, space exploration, whatever that means, um, will have a very detri- detrimental effect on our global ability to understand what's going on and, and in understanding, look at what we can actually do, what measures need to be urgently put in place to address it. 
Totally. And I think just the fact that NASA is studying this stuff and maybe everyone doesn't know that, it kind of highlights the importance. Um, you do normally think of it with space exploration, but they're, if they're studying climate science, then it must be important. It's NASA. <laughs> and, I, and I think that's that's so interesting, right? Is that, that what you highlight there is what, perhaps one of my greatest my, one of my greatest fears um, uh, is this is this idea of what I, I I should really look up where this quote comes from, uh, but this idea of something happening slowly and then all at once. Uh, and if there's if there's one fear I have, it's that something you know it's like uh, it's like right now we're in the slowly, and at some point these t- these these feedback loops, like you mentioned, will will start tipping, and then and it, and then one hits, and another hits, and another hits, and that's when you'll see this sort of quote unquote all at once. Uh, and what that looks like, we don't know because we've never experienced these sort of things, as you mentioned. Like uh, sea ice is at the lowest it possibly could be, uh, or like I think it's like at the low, lowest it's ever been in in, in like in in, in you know, recorded history to some extent, um, and you know, and it's and and then you look at like twenty de- degrees above usual. Can you imagine if that was happening in a much more populated place? Like if right now here in 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 November in in Toronto it was twenty two degrees, uh, I you know that people would be alarmed. But it can happen in places where we're not there because we're not seeing it so much. And which goes back to this important of NASA actually paying attention to these things because we can't be there or we're not there. So someone has to be paying attention to let us know what's happening. Uh, the nice thing about teching, Stefan, is that uh, I do actually have access to the internet and not just the links I saved on my laptop before I left the house. Uh, nice. Good taste in quotes. That was Ernest Hemingway. Nice. Ernest Hemingway. Solid. I like that. Um, but yeah, so like... It's these it's these feedback loops that are that are perhaps the most concerning piece of of, of these different signs. Like you mentioned, you mentioned methane as well, um, and that's perhaps like the, that's to me something that's the ticking time bomb that everyone talks about of the two degrees. Like if anyone asks why is it always two degrees, it's it's largely because that's the that's when that's when the the, the ice caps people presume again all this is like an estimate because. The kind of terrifying about this is that scientists like repeatability, but we've never done this before, so we have no idea what's happening now. Um, and so the two degrees is when methane would be released from, like, theoretically released from permafrost. And that sort of kickstarts this, you know, all at once section of our lives. Yeah, and I, I just want to throw in really quickly as well. I mean, you use, you use the example because we're here in Toronto that, like, right now I think it's plus four or something like that. Yeah. Uh, outside the studio, it's about negative one inside the studio <laughs> for some unknown reason. Uh, but, I mean, think about, you know, another place that's super populated, in fact, the most populated, which is near the equator. So if we go from, or somewhere in the Middle East, right, which is if you go from... 90 degrees to 110 degrees uh everybody who can't afford to live constantly in an air-conditioned building or air-building car just died right and i think that's really where you put the underline like this, this is that sort of a limit is is the difference between habitable and death well and the, the part of that that was what why the conversations that were going on in in marrakesh earlier this year were so important about about hfcs because you know as as the these places uh both develop to the extent where 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 you know, cooling features are 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 available, and also get and get obviously hotter. You're stuck in this place where, again, you're you're creating a system where there's more, and HFCs are 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 again a feedback loop. So we're looking at these. Every single thing seems to be tied to a different feedback loop, and each time you get there, you're like, oh no, I'm a little more scared. Um, is there any good news on this on this on this on this ice story? 
Well, I think the good news is that this is a warning sign and it's our, it doesn't isolate the Arctic as its own thing. Like they're saying it could be felt around the world. But I just wanted to go back to one of the points that you were making about people feeling this. The authors also talked about um, communities in and around the Arctic um, and they are already kind of feeling the effects of some of this. And they need to be provided with different equipment or skills to deal with the changing climate and what this means for them. And so not just the changing climate, but obviously the rising sea levels, changes in the species that they might hunt or use there. And so this is really important. We might not feel it in Toronto right away, but someone living much closer to the Arctic might already be feeling the effects of this. There's also, you know, an important mental health and wellness perspective there. When your whole world changes around you, that is incredibly difficult to deal with. That's a trauma. And I think sometimes we haven't really thought about climate change in terms of how it can traumatize communities and what kind of support for adaptation is needed. That the communities that are surrounding the Arctic, they aren't the ones that have caused this. Um, so the onus is on those who have to take responsibility, not only to do everything that can be done to stop this from accelerating any further, but to actually provide active support for adaptation because the changes are happening now. One can only imagine what these feedback loops or tipping points, if they're set off, will do in future. But people in these communities are already experiencing um, dramatic change in their life, their lives right now. And we globally, um, as people that have contributed to this problem, need to really look at how we can support this. I think you've also seen examples of people in different communities, like you're saying, this may have far reaching implications, Indian Ocean, for example, we've just come out of COP22, where countries that really have experienced extreme weather, like Bangladesh, um, Ethiopia, Philippines are saying we actually want to take a leadership role in achieving carbon neutrality in our societies and there's supposed to be this green climate fund that Western countries have promised to commit a huge amount of money to but are not anteing up. And so, you know, looking at communities in the Arctic but also communities um, far below the Arctic that are going to experience dramatically the effects of extreme weather um, this, to me, just accentuates, one, the emphasis that does need to be placed also on adaptation measures and the absolute obligation of Western countries to fulfill their financial obligations to support communities directly impacted. Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's, it's this um – I guess that's the the, the, per, the percentage of that I think is leads to sort of the all the the, the fire that you see in, in people's in people's hearts around this issue is that it's it's the it's again it's this it's this fundamental uh, you know lack of, of fairness you know as much as fairness is kind of a is, is kind of a word that's sort of I think you know belittled in an unfair, in an unfair way um, uh, of the of the fact that the people who are most protected from the effects of the people who've managed to who've leveraged the, the already existing society to protect themselves uh, and cause the problem in the first place. Uh, it, which, you know, again, it comes back to, to, to my central point at the very beginning of the show, which is that youth are engaged in climate. Uh, and youth are, in, like, free them to stop fighting these pipelines and actually build, uh, build the, do the hard work of, of, you know, of understanding our world, like understanding what this sort of melting could happen, because uh, that's a big part of being able to actually create action is understand the world we live in. Um, and, then, and then furthermore, to, to, to start creating the culture where, where we can have we can have resilient communities that aren't resilient because of their excess, but are resilient because of what they're doing. 
And I think maybe we we need to hand over to Darren for a good news story. I think this story comes with a pinch of salt um, because I don't personally believe that we can just totally innovate our way out of uh, these problems. And sometimes the person that this is linked to kind of projects that that feeling of we can solve the world's problems not by changing fundamentally what we're doing, but by innovating. But anyhow, it's still a good news story. So there's this Elon Musk <laughs> merger initiative do you want to uh, describe that darren for us yeah i i, I actually ended up uh, getting so overwhelmed reading dapl stuff and and just getting really irritated about that that i that i actually didn't read too much about that article but re- really quickly it's just sort of i feel like maybe a weekly segment will be this week in musk which sounds like a hilarious segment <laughs> i would I, I want it just because it's a great name i just want to i just want to, I just want to host a part of a show that says it's this week in musk it's 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 musk. a podcast produced by the preeminent uh hipster like men's beard magazine Oh, there we go. Yeah, this week yeah. in Musk. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, Elon Musk is now, uh, in addition to uh, shareholders approving a massive uh, merger, which will allow them to uh, exp- ex- extrapolate a lot of their work with Solar City, which will uh, rapidly uh, expand, hopefully, that, that business as well to, uh, to upscale. That uh, Elon Musk has also taken, uh, as, as we all know very much, to doing demo projects and doing big flashy things that get headlines. And they're now powering an entire island with uh, uh, solar energy. Uh, and the importance now is, is, my first question, of course, well, how big is that island? But the key here, importantly, is is that it's doing all of the things. Uh, and so it's been worked into every possible system. And so it's, it's a proof of concept in the sense that uh, it can be a feasible solution. Not that this one solution could be copy-pasted to all places, uh, but that in the right place, if you have the right thing to do the right job, it can do all of the work. And so I think as far as a a, a noteworthy accomplishment, uh, cheers to them for doing that. As Emmy rightly points out, it, this doesn't mean magically, you know, we're saved. Uh, but it still makes me happy when I see headlines. And I just like reading about Elon Musk because I find him super interesting. So yeah. we're actually incredibly out of time, super fast. Uh, I'm going to make a, a, in the bonus show this week, we're going to talk about how the environment department is like your mom. <laughs> That's my teaser. Uh, and uh, don't worry, MA, it's not that bad. Uh, I actually think you'll approve. So stay tuned for the bonus show if you're listening to the podcast. Other than that, thanks so much for listening to The Green Majority this week. Thank you so much for MA and Tina for joining us as usual. Thank you, for Stefan, for uh, showing up and, and uh, keeping our, the audience busy while I'm scrambling around with buttons here. And thank you to the listeners for listening. Have a good green week, folks, and we'll see you all real soon. So that's it for the regular part of the program. Stay tuned for the bonus show where M.A. Ma and I have a really interesting discussion about uh, what I was teasing there just right at the end of the program, which is uh, I make a uh, less tortured than usual analogy about uh, relating the st- struggle of women and fam- feminism and. Uh, to the environment through the concept about how the environment is like your mom. Also, we have a conversation about what now is the DAPL and uh, protests and violence with police uh, the new normal coming up on the bonus show if you want to remember if you want to be a member and you appreciate what we do you can do that by going to patron.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash green majority please consider signing up today we need your support thank you for listening and enjoy the bonus show All right, so welcome to the bonus show. I have a, my special guest. Stefan has been replaced with M.A. Ma. No offense to Stefan, but this is an upgrade. 
Nice to oh, see you. Oh, poor Stefan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can support that statement, but thanks thanks for the warm welcome. Well, yes, very warm and dearly missed, and, and thank you so much for taking some time to join us. And uh, Stefan had to run back to work, so uh, uh, you're going to be uh, filling in for me uh, as my co-host on the bonus show as well. So I had a, I, I had a tease there. I'm going to tease my thing uh, as well, which is just a, an analogy I was thinking about when I was busy uh, you know, listening to Tribe Called Red this morning, reading all this DAPL stuff, and and just sort of swimming in the pre, in the doing this pre-show swim that I do every week, which is that I've after I've read all the articles and I've made my notes, I just kind of and you know usually what happens is a fairly tight time and a lot of this work happens for the show, so I'll do that and then I immediately hop into the shower to race to work, and so what happens is that my Friday morning shower uh, is is a very interesting th- you know four minutes uh, because it's sort of I'm just sort of freely swimming in in in, in whatever whatever general emotions sort of rise to the top from whatever I just finished reading and maybe I'll go through some of the things I want to say but it's a very sort of like free form uh, thinking four minutes and and so the thing that bubbled up for me this week <clears throat> was thinking about because uh, I've been I've been thinking a lot about gender as well recently too and and uh, in addition to all this other stuff sort of out I do have other interests of the environment there's other things I'm mad about MA other than just the environment good to know you're yeah. well rounded <laughs> in your I'm, anger <laughs> I'm, yes, my, my my fury is 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 actually you know pretty cosmopolitan um, and so one of the things I was thinking about was was gender and, and what I was thinking about was this idea the, this idea of the 1940s mom or older basically but I think the 1940s because there's like there's a general degree of respect given uh, but it's respect for women who held the role right so it's different than you know far earlier back when you know women basically were were functionally chattel uh and you know given traded and whatever and so you know we got towards the early 1900s you know women had a lot more respect but it was the respect given to women that filled out the expectations of women right and as long as women did that they were provided you know an appropriate amount of respect for staying in their place essentially right so being the housewife doing the cooking and cleaning uh this sort of this this sort of very early 1900 idea of the nuclear family and that the woman's role was to essentially be the babysitter for the family right pick up uh, after the children and the husband do all the laundry do all the work and essentially not be thanked and i was like this is very much how we treat our environment departments our environment ministers and environment legislation basically the entire environment file which was mind your place and as far as the response we're getting mind your place and as long as you do what we tell you to do which was we're going to tell you what your job is and if you do that and do nothing more and shut up and keep your opinions to yourself we will heap praise on you and we will treat you with the modicum of you know thank you for you're doing a great job and 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 also like this, it, but it's also not covered with praise because it's largely goes unthanked. Most of the time it goes unthanked. Occasionally there's a nice reference here and there, but largely this is just the slaving work of someone who's like, well, that's your job. Uh, well, everyone goes off and, and rips it up. And this is what we have a lot of the time with environment problems, which is, you know, God forbid that somebody from the environment department goes out and says, hey, you know, recommends policy and you know, go forward thinking something that might protect the family in this ongoing and increasingly belabored metaphor. Um, you know, say, well, maybe, you know, husband, you shouldn't go and buy that muscle car. We can't afford it, um, you know, because we have to put through the quiet woman. You know, it seemed the thing, right? So go this, well, dare, you know, dare not say anything about whether or not we should have pipelines. But if a pipeline bursts, then, you know, you're going to help, you know, clean it up and we're going to take the public's money and the public will pay for it. Never mind the fact that the company, uh, you know, privatized all the profits and and we're now going to socialize the costs onto this. And we're not even going to thank you for it, uh, but we're just going to not criticize you as long as you just do your job. And my argument essentially is that we need a 2016 mum. Uh, We want, so the metaphor being someone goes out, you know what, maybe the woman's 
going to go out and work or the mom in this family is going to go out and work. Maybe she'll even be the main uh, breadwinner, uh, something that's uh, less likely to be true because of the gender disparity and gap, but more able to be true because uh, it's more socially acceptable for women to be uh, working. Uh, and there's probably even some young women maybe listening to this who are flabbergasted by some of my descriptions of the world gone by. But this is, in fact, very recent. Even the minimal progress that we have now is very, very recent on these issues. Uh, but it's very much that idea of that, well, now, you know, so this nuclear family, assuming we have a uh, a, a still this idea of the nuclear family, today's version of this looks very different, uh, which is that, you know, largely over during this progress, uh, husbands uh, or partners of, of these wives uh, and the, the kids. And of course, just please excuse the heteronormity of this. It, the metaphor doesn't work if I start making all sorts of, you know, contingencies. Um, but you know, essentially, it's like clean up your damn self. Maybe you should make dinner three times a week because I'm also going out and having a job. And we're going to share the responsibility for taking care of the kids and and, and disciplining them and, and providing them guidance and love. Uh, and that this is the type of attitude we need towards the environment. The people whose job it is to be experts on the environment need to be encouraged and given the leniency to go out and make proactive decisions about what's good for the family or in my metaphor, the country or the environment in general and say, no, no, I'm not just going to clean up that glass of milk that you poured on the floor. I'm also going to make it so that you can't do that in the future because that's not just destructive and causing work for me. It's destructive and causing work and, and incurring unnecessary costs for the entire family. It's just that previously it was only that person that did it. So at the risk of making this meta working this metaphor so wide that it breaks, we'll stop it there as far as my <laughs> metaphor. But, but is, did my metaphor work? What do you think of the analogy I just made? Yeah, I think it's an important point around this notion of the onus on environmental portfolios being around cleanup rather than be taking a proactive approach and preventing that cleanup of of needing to be necessary in the first place. Um, if we're if we're to extend your metaphor uh, along the lines of family dynamics, I think it is important to look at what is happening behind the scenes in in our current levels of government. Um, so for example, take the Ontario government, um, where there before the release of the most recent climate strategy, there was allegedly a lot of disputes, maybe infighting might be a strong word, but disputes among the ministers around the content. So you have the release of a, a climate policy or plan, and then you have a um, also, you know, release around energy strategy that's actually quite regressive and, you know, procurement processes around renewables being rolled back, for example. So th this is not a happy family situation that we're looking at and actually being in that seat of Minister of Environment and Climate Change, whether it's at the provincial level or the federal level in Canada, is no doubt a difficult position to be in the family. You're not necessarily the person in the family that does have all the power. Um, and, you know, if you want to give Catherine McKenna the benefit of the doubt, you know, when she took on that portfolio, she came in all bright eyed and bushy tailed and optimistic and saying all the right things at COP21 and, and supporting countries on the front line committing to, you know, staying under the, the 1.5 degrees Celsius marker, but then she's since had reality hit. And I would guess, even though I'm not an insider in any way, um, that she's being compelled to make a lot of compromises that she probably personally is not happy about. So I think in terms of uh, extending your analogy, what we're looking at is as much as departments or ministries of environment and climate change have been given more prominence than they would be under conservative governments, they are still not the head of the family.
Yeah, and 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 I think that and that's why I don't make a habit of you know naming you know going after personally uh, mm-hmm. Catherine McKenna is because and, and where I do with Justin Trudeau because with Justin Trudeau the buck stops with him. He sets the policy. His ministers largely will uh, provide input behind the scenes, but it's very taboo for a, a minister to sort of like go rogue and come out and say something that hasn't been approved. I mean, that's been true time immemorial. That's not that's not even like, you know, politic real today. That's just sort of how politics works. Right. And largely someone who did that would be moved out. And so I think I mean, we, we don't have to give her the benefit of the doubt in the sense that when she says, you know, trust us, don't worry, we've got this. Um, but we do have to give the benefit of the doubt that she didn't have any choice about whether or not she got to say that. Uh, and that's why I don't make a habit of going after her personally. I, I actually feel, I, I hate to say it, but I kind of pity her um, mm-hmm. a little bit. And I don't, I don't mean to be dismissive about that, but I mean, she's been put in an impossible position, which is she got brought into this file and hailed by me on this program as somebody who finally somebody in charge of this file who actually has the ability and the background to actually comprehend the file they've been put in charge in. That is sadly a rarity in all areas of government. Um, and she's now put in a possible position where all of her scientist friends probably hate her. Um, she'll have probably a tough time getting back into her former job now that she's been in politics, or it will be more complicated for her. Uh, and her future now is largely going to be that of one of politics, more than likely. And to have a future in politics in in today's you know Canadian politics anyway, uh, that means toe the line with your uh, prime minister. And unfortunately, so that's put her in the impossible position of now essentially she has to protect her career. Uh, and protecting that career means saying things that I would like to believe she doesn't believe her true and it's and it's playing out too in some of these examples that we gave on the show in terms of her inability to work with young people who are really engaged in climate change issues because they may be uh, so-called blacklisted and not allowed into government events because they're going to raise uncomfortable issues um for example you know one of the criticisms in this this recent uh, Twitter Twitter flurry or Twitter battle was that um, they didn't have any Indigenous young people making prominent speeches at this youth event, and one has to wonder too if there was a so sort some sort of screening out of or not including uh, Indigenous young people in in roles like that. Um, the other the other thing I do feel, though, to point out is that in the context of recent sit-ins, um, she did actually speak to some of the young people that were sitting in in her office. And I think, at minimum, it probably needs to be recognized that uh, under the former conservative government, if there had been a sit-in in the Ministry of the Environment, um, the minister would not have been on the phone with the people sitting in. So we do we do see some reflection of a change in tone. But again, it does come down to being able or being empowered to make tough decisions on things like pipelines that really do have a direct impact on emissions reductions. And if you're not in power to actually make tough decisions, then you're going to be ineffectual and you're going to burn a lot of bridges to people that should be on your side. Yeah. And I think I think that creates a, a, a natural segue to the, the other thing I wanted to, to get into in the bonus show a little bit as well, which is uh, I, I think I, I could be mistaken. I'm just going from memory here, but I believe she's actually said that. I believe that the, I, I don't know if this was a, a comment. And I, I have to admit, I could be completely wrong here, but it's uh, I mean, I don't know if you remember reading that somewhere that she actually said in response to protesters at one point uh, that 
somewhere she was quoted as saying that she had actually that she did she you know i i when i was younger i was you know doing what you guys were doing and believe me i i get it and i think that again we're going out on a limb here i i think that she said that if she did i believe her that that's true and that makes that that's why i pity her because i i think that in her heart or heart she really wish that um you know, barring her actually having the authority to do what I think she knows is right, uh, that she can't go and join them. And and it's a sad comment, I think, on our system where wherein people that start out as activists or advocates, passionate advocates for a certain issue, when they, they come into power, they're compelled, quote unquote, to sort of sell out. And we shouldn't have a system where it's like when you cross over, you immediately become a sellout. We should have a system that empowers people to take that passion forward and supports them uh, to do that. And it, it kind of speaks to that very uh, uh, contentious tweet around that was, you know, perhaps requoting somebody about young people needing to learn to play the game. I think that young people need to be astute, but I don't think they need to sell out to play the game and gain positions of power because then they will just be repeating this ineffective behavior that we see in some of our, our current uh, leadership. Well, and, and I think it speaks to that specific problem, which is that if you're looking at this through a political lens and you're looking at this through a negotiation lens, a traditional negotiation lens, anything from negotiating a business deal, uh, intergovernmental uh, negotiations, trade agreements, uh, all the way, you know, all the way down, any sort of negotiation, the idea is that I give something, you give something, right? That's how it goes. And so that's the sort of perspective they're coming at it with is, hey, I gave you something, so you have to give us something. That's a show of good faith. But that only, that doesn't apply in this situation because because we, it's not a, a matter of opinion, right? It's not a matter of perspective about, well, all of these are, are possible options and you prefer this and I prefer this. And so we'll find a way to negotiate and meet in the middle. That isn't the case. That doesn't apply in this situation. There is a hard line, which is the science. And anything short of that is the same as doing nothing at all. And, and that isn't an extreme statement to make because of the simple fact that climate change is runaway. It's self-fueling. So if we do it, if we limit it to 2.1 degrees, that very well could be. There's no way to know for sure that science is on this is inconclusive. Uh, but it, it very, every indication is that 2.1 degrees is no different than 5 degrees because 2.1 will lead to 5 and will lead to 10 once we get there, it's too late. We can't do anything. And that's the thing that they're not getting. I don't think I have any more to say on that. So really quickly uh, on that. So the, the, what I meant by a segue there was, was I, uh, you didn't really get an opportunity to comment on, on my quick comment. I wanted to just basically just give you an opportunity to stick in a thought about my, my comment in the middle of the show there about like once you remove all other options uh, that we're going to see more and more. Uh, of this, you know, Dakota Access Pipeline and and Kinder Morgan and and like this is the new normal as far as like essentially all bets are off. The the shiny happy government that said it was taking this problem seriously uh, doesn't appear to have any intention of doing so, uh, despite the fact they're making some moves. They're they're being meant as concessions. Like the idea of getting off coal is the okay. Well, we gave you coal, so give us pipelines, which is unacceptable. And so, and the people that are opposing this understand that this is unacceptable, not because they don't like it, but because the science says it's unacceptable. And so the, the only remaining option now for more and more people are realizing uh, is to go and physically block these protests. Um, are you afraid? Are you concerned? Are you encouraged? Uh, what's your take on, on that? Do you agree with that reality? And what's your take on it? Yeah, I think our, our, our new normal is also the old normal in the sense that we have seen in past eras uh, high levels of mobilization around very compelling issues. And 
we, we do see things sometimes go in, in cycles. But I think it also needs to be said that this kind of resistance and protest has been ongoing. So it's not that it's ever completely stopped, but I think things happen at different times. It might be, for example, like the election of Trump that are a signaling that this might escalate because things are not in the near future going to get better. And the people that are passionate about these issues really do feel that this is the only recourse available to them. And I think it is, I do think it is a comment on our times that hard, hard fought things, for example, just around like civil rights, human rights um, are not ultimately protected. So, you know, if we look at the civil rights movement in the States, for example, those victories were very hard fought. There was a lot of loss of life that went into those those victories. And then we can, in this day and age, still have someone get elected who is incredibly racist towards people of color um, in spite of that long, long history of fighting those battles. Now, Prior to to Trump getting elected, there was still a huge amount of discrimination in the U.S. and North America more broadly, um, institutional discrimination against people of color and marked inequity um, in terms of different numbers of factors around health and income. Um, and so, like I said, that battle never stopped, but I think it's accentuated by um, having somebody like Trump elected. And it signals that I think we can expect a lot more very visible resistance from people of color or indigenous people because the the signal has been the issues that they care about are not only going to be ignored, but they're going to be they're going to be in battle, basically. Yeah. And I think we're, we're approaching a good end point. We're, we're nearing up on 20 minutes. So I'll, I'll just make my final comment on that as well as that. I'm glad, I'm glad you took that angle with it because, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I don't think, I don't think it's even opposing what I just said. I think it's just sort of a different look at it, which is that you're absolutely right to point out. And one of the things that, that feels so condescending and insincere about these like things and, and, you know, and I, unfortunately to some degree, and we're not going to get into it now, but I'm going to be writing a response to an article that Sapporo Bowman, uh, uh, Sapporo Bowman wrote, uh, which essentially takes this tack and she was getting heat earlier in the year for you know, like cooperating and, you know, sort of buying into this process and also finger wagging at people who didn't, you know, essentially, well, you know, get into that idea that, well, hey, they gave us something so you should disarm. Uh, she wouldn't put it that way, but that's my interpretation of, of her attitude. And a lot of people's attitude, uh, which is that, you know, hey, uh, you have to end the, the whole thing with the game is that the game is played is that the game of negotiation. That's the game that they were talking about. And the reality is, and you were absolutely right to point out, I just wanted to put a big hammer mark on it, was that no, actually, that's wrong. That's historically false. Things change when people protest until it forces change that's the only time any real change has ever happened right you know uh, the all of the the jim crow act being uh, you know being dealt with and all of the the his, history of racism in the united states the history of racism here in canada the the history of rights and and freedoms across the world has never happened at negotiation table it always happens in the streets so they are quantifiably wrong uh, they are dead wrong and they're quantifiably wrong and don't let them tell you any different. And I think we'll end on that note. Thank you joining. Uh, thank you for joining me this week, Emma. Great to be back. 